You're listening to the Better With Books podcast, a weekly podcast for entrepreneurs looking to bridge the gap between reading for business and reading for fun. I'm your host, Kate Hollis, conversion copywriter and part-time librarian, ready to guide you toward finding meaningful, actionable insights into yourself, your clients, and your business through works of fiction and creative nonfiction. Join me each week to discuss a new title from genres ranging from fantasy to romance and everything in between. Unconventional? Definitely. But that's where the good stuff is. Think of this as your own personal on-demand book club, one where reading the book is 100% optional and all are welcome. Come for the book recommendations and stay for the inspiration because I think you'll find that your business and your life will be better with books. Hi there. Thanks for joining me for episode 17 of Better With Books. I am back this week with another amazing book to add to your ever-growing to-be-read list (laughs) that I know will give you some really powerful things to think about in your business. But as usual, um, it's not a business book that we're going to be talking about. Because, you know, I love a good business book, but if you've tuned in before, you know that I think the ideas that really move us forward as entrepreneurs are found in books that just offer different kinds of insight. This episode is brought to you by Sales SOS, which is an in-person strategy and content session with me and my marketing partner in crime, Nicole Shephey of Stargazer Creative. If you're located in the Boston area and you are looking at the remainder of the year with, you know, maybe a mild sense of panic because you don't have a plan in place, we've got you covered. Um, Within one business day of meeting with us, you will get a full quarter's worth of marketing strategy social media captions, some Canva templates, and either a sales page or a sales email sequence written by me. So if you need some high impact, low stress support with a super quick turnaround, we are ready to help get you out of SOS mode and smooth sailing into 2024. Full details available in the show notes. Okay, it is officially the first week in October which here in the U.S. is recognized as Banned Books Week. As a podcast about books and as a business owner who values social justice, like I knew this was something that I wanted to recognize and talk about on the show. And my first thought was like, ooh, there are so many excellent banned books that I could take the opportunity to highlight. And then I realized that I already talk about a lot of those books. You know, I talk about books that cover racial justice, the LGBTQ plus experience, you know, books that question traditional historical narratives, etc. And so I decided that I would best do justice to Banned Books Week by talking about the broader impact of banned books, both on society and in our businesses. Because the truth is, is that banned books don't only impact 
kids in school. It impacts all of us. So the book that I think provides the best context for that kind of discussion is a novel that's actually about banned books. And it's called Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. And it is a really, really great book. You probably recognize Celeste Ng's name because she's written three best-selling novels. One of them is called Little Fires Everywhere, um, which I also read. Absolutely love that as well. That was turned into a TV miniseries produced by Reese Witherspoon. And Our Missing Hearts is the author's third and most recent novel published in 2022. And I read it not too long after it came out. And when I was starting to kind of line up the content for the early episodes of Better With Books, I actually considered this title as one to talk about in the first episode because it makes a really powerful statement about how important books are to the world. But I think I'm glad that ultimately I held off because it really speaks to the theme of this episode in a way that I don't think any other book could. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. Our Missing Hearts is a dystopian novel. It's the story of a young boy named Bird and he is living in Cambridge, Massachusetts on the university campus where his father works. And the world that they live in is one of fear. The government, you know, passed legislation that punishes, quote, un-American behavior. Basically anything that it perceives as threatening American culture and values. And this legislation targets Asian Americans in particular. And the book was written during the early part of the pandemic and was a direct response to the spike in, or you know, perhaps increased awareness of hate crimes against Asians and Asian Americans due to this you know, really problematic false notion that China was responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic. Bird's father is white. He's a former professor of linguistics, which is no longer taught. And so he now works as a clerk at the university library filing books, which are now a very rare commodity. And so it's just Bird and his dad living a very quiet existence in an old college dorm room, just trying to get by day to day, not calling attention to themselves for two very big reasons. One is that Bird is biracial and resembles his mother, who's Asian American. And number two is that they really don't want to attract any attention because of their connection to Bird's mother, who's wanted for crimes against the government. Bird's mother, though, is actually far from a criminal. She is a poet. But when Bird was a toddler, a poem that she wrote that was titled Our Missing Hearts was adopted by the radical 
anti-government movement as a sort of anthem. Like she herself was not actively involved in activism, but she wrote this poem mostly as an expression of the heartbreak that she felt as a mother, knowing that other families had their children taken away from them because their families were accused of holding un-American values. And so the kids were taken from them and placed in more, quote, suitable foster homes that could teach them the right values. And so, you know, someone somewhere, somehow found her poem and Our Missing Hearts became a symbol of this movement. And Bird's mother, therefore, as the person who wrote the poem, was seen as a threat. And she and her husband were afraid that Bird would be taken from them. And so she decided to leave when Bird was really, really young, and she's been in hiding ever since. But she does come back into the picture when Bird is a bit older. He's still in grade school. And he gets this kind of cryptic note in the mail that at first doesn't make any sense to him, but that he knows is from his mother. There are drawings on it, like nothing that would kind of raise any red flags for censors who might be going through their mail. But Bird just knows it's from her. And he remembers that one of the little drawings on the note kind of alludes to this Japanese fairy tale that his mother would read to him when he was little. So he knows that there's some secret in the book and in this story that can help kind of crack this secret message that his mom is trying to get to him. So he sets out to find a copy of a book that has this fairy tale in it because he just so desperately wants to see his mother to remember just anything about her because his father just doesn't talk about her and not because he doesn't love her, but because it's a, it's dangerous. He is afraid that bird will be taken from him and have nobody. So if he doesn't publicly denounce his wife, then he cannot protect his son. So, you know, Bird being a young kid makes his way to the public library, (laughs) which is very different than the libraries we have, at least as we know them today. Like the shelves are pretty much almost entirely empty aside from a very limited amount of government approved titles. And the librarians are almost like information gatekeepers. They're put in a position to police what books people can access and then potentially to flag inquiries that might reflect some kind of radical activity. So, you know, he asked the librarian who, you know, makes it clear that he should not be asking about foreign texts. Um, but, you know, Bird figures out, okay, I can't get my hands on this book through the public library, but, you know, I have a dad who works in a library and I have access to his keys and credentials. So he kind of steals his father's security badge, breaks into the university library and finds this book hidden deep in the stacks. 
and remembers the story enough to uncover another clue as to where his mother is hiding. But he keeps coming back to the library because he noticed something kind of odd when he was there. People would come in, they would talk to the librarian at the desk and return books that had these little hidden pieces of paper in them, which the librarian would very quietly pocket. And so Bird confronts the librarian, tells her, you know, I know that you're doing something with these notes and tells her about his background and his mother. And he finds out that the librarian knows his mother. And it turns out that libraries have become this secret network where people pass along information to help families find kids who were taken from their homes. And so the librarian does help Bird find his mother. And, you know, she's now like deeply involved in the anti-government movement and working furiously on some kind of project to take it down. And, you know, it's unclear exactly what she's doing, but to the reader and to Bird, it seems pretty dangerous. Like she is building something that, you know, seems like it could be like a bomb of some kind. And so I won't, I'm not going to tell you exactly what she was doing or how if Bird gets involved, but I will say that the ending of this book just like took my breath away. I mean, it was a complete and total gut punch, especially if you're a parent. But it was also just really, really beautiful. And it's a book that is really worth reading. And it stays with you for a really long time. I mean, I read it over a year ago at this point, I think. And like, I can still channel the feeling that I had at the end of the book, almost as if I had just finished it. So I definitely, definitely recommend reading it. And generally, I just really enjoy dystopian novels. I always have. But, you know, ones like this are especially unnerving to me because the world that they describe is possible in our lifetime. I mean, the fact that it's 2023 and we're not only talking about banned books, but the fact that more and more books are being banned, it just really, really shakes me up. You know, I read a statistic that said like between 2021 and 2023, like over 2,500 books have been banned by legislation across the country. And that just blows my mind. Like I'm, I'm proud to work in a public library that, you know, not only doesn't ban books, but openly highlights books that are banned elsewhere. But, you know, some people who visit the library really don't like it. Like we've had people complain about book displays that highlight, you know, queer romance novels or are maybe young adult focused nonfiction books that are focused on reproductive health. You know, and this is the climate in which 
librarians and teachers and store owners have to buy books. Like their focus moves from like, what books should I provide to help growing minds to will there be some kind of community backlash if I do order these books? So like while many towns and states can honestly say that they don't have a banned books list because they don't live somewhere that's passed legislation prohibiting certain titles, the people who are in the position to buy books are making a statement with the books that they buy and don't buy. You know, as, as adults, we're not in schools with book bans. However, we are living in the same socio-political climate that supports them. And it is steeped with fear. And that's also the environment in which we're growing our businesses and building our brands. And I think it is really, really important to just look that head on and ask ourselves, how might I be inadvertently reinforcing the cultural values that allow this censorship to exist? Like the truth is most book bans are initiated by parents, parents who arguably think that they're like, quote, protecting their children by not introducing them to, I don't know, like a picture book that maybe features a transgender character, for example. Like many of us who own businesses are parents. And one of the benefits of working for yourself is the flexibility that it allows us to be more present and more available to our kids. And for me, that also means having more mental capacity to actively listen to my son when he tells me what he's learning about so that I can help identify and fill in the gaps where I think school leaves off, which most often are in areas of like social emotional learning or social justice. You know, even if you're not a parent who's advocating for books to be removed from schools, are you asking your kids about what kinds of books they're reading? And can you change that? And even if you don't have kids, I just think it's more broadly worth taking inventory of how you choose to use your time and mental and emotional resources, right? Like asking yourself if you have bandwidth to actively work against this culture of banned books, if it's something that matters to you, because even really small actions can make a difference. Like I regularly buy books and send them in as donations for like my son's classroom or school library, like books that I choose because I believe in their message and the importance of kids having access to certain kinds of representation in books. And the truth is, is that, you know, even for communities that are well off, you know, libraries don't have big budgets and you know, teachers don't have really any budget for resources for their own classrooms. And, you know, it's newer books in particular that address the kinds of social justice issues that I think are important for kids to think about, 
So I like to keep tabs on new books that are coming out and to provide those to the school. And so even if you don't have kids, you know, maybe this is something that you could do in your community. It's just a small, a small step because, you know, we are living in a world where freedom of expression and access to information are limited. And that's just so scary to me, so scary. And, you know, I don't think many people realize the extent to which it's happening or how it's impacting them. And that includes entrepreneurs, like in the context of our businesses, like how much time and thought do we put into like protecting ourselves and our brands from criticism? You know, are there certain topics that we're careful not to talk about because, you know, we're afraid we might alienate our audience if we talk about a certain polarizing topic or that maybe it'll be confusing to people if we start to talk about a cause that's important to us. And to that, I say, you know, don't underestimate the impact that you or any individual person can have in the world. Because for better or worse, as business owners, we have a platform. You know, we have followers, clients, referral partners. People look to us for ideas and value. And you just never know who's on the other end of your content and what it could mean to them. Something that you share could just reach the right person on the right day when they really need to feel seen and understood or inspired. You know, you could just find somebody saying like, wow, I think it is so cool that this person, this brand is standing up for something that they believe in and then maybe feel inspired to do the same thing themselves because I think that's how culture shifts, like just one act of courage after another. Someone taking the chance to say, you know, actually, I disagree with that. Or, you know, this is important to me and I think it's important that we talk about it. Like if we are internalizing this culture of fear into the business community, you know, not only can that perpetuate harm, but it is also a major creativity killer, right? Because when you think about it, authors are almost a sort of entrepreneur, right? They make a product that has to be marketed and sold and book bans actively harm their livelihood. You know, it's the equivalent of, you know, maybe a colleague of yours being blacklisted just because somebody else doesn't like the work that they're doing. Um, You know, working against book bans is an act of support to the creative economy, period. And overall, I just see people are starting to call out shiny, like flawlessly curated brands as being out of touch with the realities of the world. And your brand doesn't have to be one of them. 
like you can make waves, like even tiny ones can make a big difference. Curating a brand doesn't mean that your self-expression has to be limited or that any content you're sharing has to be neutral because there is a culture that is making you feel afraid. And like, I'm just here to remind you, like, you don't have to listen to it because if we give it power, that's how it's going to stay. And, you know, also if you are a library goer, I'd encourage you to tell your librarians how much you appreciate them. Like they show up for their communities in a big way and have adapted to meet the needs of this ever-changing world in a way that I don't think they get enough credit for. So if you love libraries, but maybe you don't go very often, um, you know, please do because libraries often get funding based on the number of books that they circulate. So in the same way that you patronize a business that you want to stick around, you can do the same with your local library. And librarians can also hook you up with a list of phenomenal reads that might be found on Banned Book List so that you can support some authors while you're at it. So if you want to read a book about the power of libraries, the importance of free speech in the world, definitely, definitely check out Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. It's a really, really good book. And you can find an affiliate link in the show notes to buy a copy for yourself. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Better With Books podcast. If you like what you heard, please share with friends, fellow entrepreneurs, anyone who loves to read and share books. You could leave a review on your preferred streaming platform so that this podcast can be found by other people who love books as much as we do. You can also support the show by purchasing the titles I discuss using my affiliate links, which you can find in the show notes. The books I discuss on the Better With Books podcast are not sponsored by any third parties. I just pick them because I like them. All opinions are my own. Join me again next Friday to nerd out about another book and email me at kate at betterwithbookspodcast.com to let me know what you think about today's episode and anything else you might like me to talk about in the future. Until next time.